this year's because um, I'm going to be in Africa. So um, we talk a lot about our church. If you're if you're around us, like you heard Mike already say it before, that we're in the community for the community. Part of that means our local community with our you know serve day project and things like that, which is unbelievable. It is so much fun. Some of you are like, you know, I see maybe you saw the posters around the campus that say which, which team are you on. We want everybody to be a part of it. You know, our, our goal is to have 1,200 people serving. Last year we had about a thousand. And so um, if you're wondering, should I do that? I don't know what I got going. You, the answer is yes, you, you're going. Okay, just if you're wondering like, are we going to do that? The, yes, you're going. You're, and you're going to feel like everybody else is wearing a t-shirt. I don't get my t-shirt today. Why aren't I? Because you, you want to go, all right? Now, that, enough of that. Now, the other part of our partnership is in the global community. And we believe and understand and know that the church is not just an American phenomenon. And it's not a South Orange County phenomenon. In fact, the global church is rapidly expanding well, some of you guys saw the research this week that said that there, the, the American church is actually in decline, and that um, what used to be about 90% of people had some kind of affiliation with a religious organization, now it's down to about 70%, and the most rapidly increasing uh, category of people is the uncertains, the unknowns, the agnostics and the atheists, who are like, yeah, I think I'm more like that now. And so in the global church, though, the church is booming, and we have a lot to learn from our global partners. And um, it's a great partnership we have in Nairobi, Kenya, and as well as a partner we have and we're developing in Uganda. And so I'm going to go and speak. Um, <laughs> there's some clapping for that. Good. Okay, cool. Some fans of Africa, the rest of you guys, not so much. Um, but I'll, go, I'll be speaking at a conference and then we'll be meeting with our partners and I'll be learning a bunch of stuff and, you know, uh, bringing some stuff back to us and being a part of it. So you guys can be praying for that and know that on the 31st, I'll leave for that. So I'll be here on the 31st, they'll teach, and then I'll go to Africa and then I'll come back with stories and hopefully I won't bring home any, you know medical diseases and everything else. No, no, I'm just kidding. It is a great place to go. I've been before. If you have not yet had a chance to go to Africa, it is a, it is a life-changing, beautiful picture of God's work throughout the world. All right. Um, but next, this is this. I want to give you some update, a little family business, which is, I know if you're new with us, first of all, I have to apologize for all this sort of family business because you're like, get to it. You know, I got things to do. I understand. Um, I'll tell you what else is going on. A lot of you guys have been asking me about the Unleash the Impossible. This, some of you guys who are new, one thing you asked when you came in here is, why is that there? And you look at the wall and you're like, why is that thing there? And why do you, do you guys not know that that's here? I got an uh, email from someone last week who was new who just said, you know, I loved your church. It was really cool. Mother's Day was awesome. It was so cool. And, you know, it was, it was great. But why do you guys have a wall? Like as if we didn't know it was here, you know? And um, so I want to tell you, give you an update on what, what we're doing with that. Um, here's the news. We, uh, we've raised enough money to pull the wall down, which is great. Um, yes. Yes. Now, I'll just tell you the full picture. This full disclosure. We have enough money to pull the wall down. Um, and move forward. We, but we don't have as much money to do everything we would want it to do, which is to do some other stuff around the campus and do some other things. So here's what I want to let, I just want to let you know. I'm not going to come back at you asking you for more money. I realize that one of the things I have as a perspective from where I stand is I actually see a room divided. You guys see a room with a screen and you see a room with a screen and you're kind of like, it's okay. And I realize, but for me to tell you exactly how difficult this is, um, you, it's really tough unless you're having to speak for several minutes every week doing this. But I want to tell you, we do have enough to move forward. We don't get to do everything that we plan to do. If everybody makes good on their pledges that they've already decided to be a part of, then we're, good. we're great. We're good. Um, if you still want to be a part of it, I've talked to other people who are like, hey, I still want to be a part of that. What do I do? Um, you can still talk to us. We'll help you do that. But I'm not going to come back to the church and raise more money and do that. But if you want, still want to be a part of it, great. Here's one thing I realized too. Um, one of the things we found is a lot of people who have talked to me haven't submitted like a pledge card, like a, here's what I'm in for. So we can't really budget for that. And I'm like, those people, why don't, they just, why don't they just get on with it? And I realized I didn't turn my own pledge card. So <laughs> I'm just as much to blame. And I've talked about it with Amanda. And I know where, where, like, where our courageous sacrifice is above and beyond, and we're going to go for it. But I didn't turn in a card either. So maybe that's you too. If you want one of those, and you're like, I want to do it. And we talked as a family. And 
We just decided in our hearts how much we're going to give. Write it down and let us know so we can kind of budget accordingly. Cool? Everybody understand? Okay, good. Um, we are in a series. It is called Reset. If you want to pull out your outline, we're going to walk through that. We're going to be in the super exciting, highly dynamic passage of the Bible that I'm sure most of you guys have memorized if you grew up in the church. Leviticus chapter 17. I know. So fun. So we're going to be there in a little bit. But as we're getting there, I want to give you a sense of, of where our series has gone. The series is called Reset. And basically what we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks is that God himself has built you with the capacity to burn out on purpose. You are not intended to run the, like burn the candle at both ends all the time. You were intended to have a limit to how far you could go. God made that into you. And so periodically what we see in the Bible is that God gives people times in which they have a reset. Now, what we believe is that we should never need a reset. We should go, 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 and never stop, and that should be kind of our deal. And, and, but there's also this other part of us that says, I wish I knew how to reset. I just don't know how. I, I know that I need my life to cease. I know I need my life to stop for a moment, to pause, and to get a little bit of a moment to reset everything, but I don't know how to do it. We see this in the Bible. You have in the book of Leviticus, right here, verse 25, chapter 10, says this. Consecrate the 50th year, proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Now, what this is talking about is this. Built into the Israelite world, built into the Hebrew understanding of time and what God gave to his people is this. Every once a week on the Sabbath day, you should rest because everything was made in six days. And on the seventh day, you should rest. That's a holy day. The day in which you don't produce anything. It's a day you simply rely on God to give to you what he promises. It's It's a day of receiving. Then he says... Every seventh year to his people, he says, every seventh year, make that a Sabbath year. Don't do anything. Let the land provide for you. You just, you just rest. Let everybody who lives in your land eat from your land. Don't, work, don't harvest. Don't plow. Just take what the land gives you. That's it. And then he says, every 50th year, which is right here, take another year. We'll call that year the Jubilee year. And on that year, everything gets reset. If people owe you money, you get to let them off their debt. Hooray. If you owe money, you are freed from your debt. If your family who once had land sold it and no longer has it anymore, you get that land back. People who are, everybody who is captured, slave, everybody gets a reset every 50th year and it's called the Jubilee. So there's a rhythm in which people are, are, God gives to people a way in which they could reset their lives. And what we're finding is that not unlike the ancient Israelites, we too need a reset. And that's been our series for the past couple weeks. Let's pray together and we'll talk about today's message. Jesus, we are in need of a reset. Every week we have an acknowledgement that there is a space in which we come longing, hoping for a bit of restoration, a bit of a reset. We run our lives at incredibly fast paces. We have kids who run their lives at incredibly fast paces, our own family, our work, our school. We come in often overwhelmed, longing for just a few moments of stillness, of hope, Jesus, would you speak to that in a way that's powerful to us today? Might we leave here today with a very real encounter with your spirit, with your presence, one that intends, God, a weekend, a Sunday, Father, in which we are rebuilt, that the brokenness in us is restored, even at the most painful, deepest soul level. So, Father, would you take things that are in disarray, would you make them right? Would you bring about restoration in us? Jesus, would you make it known to us now, just as we pause for a moment, 
where it is in our life, Father, that we need you to step in in a way that we can no longer do on our own. We've tried on our own, but we need you to step in and to bring about a restoration that is beyond our own power, to bring about a reset that we don't know how to access. Just for a second, let God speak to you. Some of you, that was all you needed. A bit of stillness. An otherwise hectic, overwhelming week. God, would you honor those people who came afraid, scared, nervous about coming here for the first time? Would you give to them a sense of your hope and your peace in a way that they would never have understood? Father, for those of us who expect it, might we be surprised with the degree to which you overwhelm us with that peace and that hope and that restoration. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, now, um, if you want to pull out your outline, like I said, we're in Leviticus 17. If you want to follow along however you would like. As you're doing that, I want to ask you just a, a, a quick question. Again, you could, this is a little bit of a feedback question. So um, I want you to imagine you are on a road trip. You are either driving your own family in your minivan or you are in your own minivan or maybe you were lucky enough to have like a country squire wagon as a kid and you rode with the seat. You know what I'm talking about. You rode backwards <laughs> facing the road, you know, with the seat. You know, it's a giant, it's like it has like, some kind of 454 engine, some huge Chevy engine, giant, you guys know what I'm talking about. But you're facing the opposite direction, you're looking at, you're on a road trip. What are the games that you and your family played on that road trip? I Spy. How many guys I Spy? Definitely. That's a classic hit that lasts for about 38 seconds. And it's like, I'm bored. <laughs> license plate game. Good. Yes. What, what, wait, a couple variations. What are you doing on license plate game? Which one? Uh, out of state. There's also like, you got to spell stuff with it or whatever. Yeah. First letter. First letter. You don't remember. You just you were like, yeah, I'm playing the game. <sighs> yeah, whatever, sure, yeah. Uh-huh, good. What else? Slug bug. Slug bug, yes. I heard someone this week tell me that they grew up in, uh, they were in Seattle. They said they go up to Seattle. It's slap back outback. So you see everybody driving their Subaru outback. You just get slapped. So I was like, <laughs> here it's like, you're pretty safe. You get every once in a while, people have an outback, but not that often, not as much as Seattle. Okay, good. What else? The alphabet game. The alphabet game, which is what? <laughs> Okay, good. So sorry, unless you're tra- traveling out to like, you know, Vegas and you see Zizix. Otherwise, you don't get any X streets very often. Yeah, right. What else? 20 questions. What? Get people to wave. Just the ever fun. They're not waving. Yeah, my daughter does that all the time. Yeah, the truck one. The tr- who's a friendly trucker? You know what I mean? Careful I say that. Good. Next. What else? What? Jello, what's Jello? Oh yeah, you just completely smash your brother's face into the yeah, yeah, yeah. You just you just you just let go of all ability to stand there. Yeah, mom just went. You guys played that in the car. That is so unsafe. Yeah, I can just see what happened there. No, but yeah, that's a good one. We, it's really boring unless you're. On, it's like a really fun game unless you're on a complete straightaway. Like you're straightaway going like on a five over the pass there. It's like, oh, I wish there was a turn here because we're just sitting here. Jello's kind of a drag. Okay, good. We played a game. Our last road trip we took as a family. We, um, oh, some people do, I forgot this. Some people do like a game. Where, anybody do a game where you sing the same song, but you sing it like in different voices? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm Henry VIII, I'm Henry VIII, the second verse, same as the verse. Like a cowboy. I'm Henry VIII, I'm, you know, you do the same thing. You know, whatever. Like, that one's fun for the parents. <laughs> great, kids. Do another one. Do another, do another one in the sign language. Uh, but... We do a game in our family called Fortunately, Unfortunately. 
And the game is like this. It starts usually with the driver who starts out one time. There was a family who was on a road trip and they were all packed in a super cool Honda Odyssey minivan. And the next person starts with, fortunately, and then they start adding something. Fortunately, they had snacks and it was full of great food and, you know, whatever. And the next person says, unfortunately, the snacks were all rotten, you know. And then it's like, oh, man, here comes the big barf scenario. Everyone, no one wants to. And my kid all start, start talking. So you have that. And then, but fortunately, they were next to whatever. And then pretty soon the story has this alternation between fortunately and, for, and unfortunately. My youngest always ruins it where nothing makes sense. It's like there's some bodily function and a dinosaur eats the car every time. It's like, <laughs> well, I guess it's over. Now, the point, and the next person then has to figure out how to make that resolve. The whole question in the game is built on forcing someone to find a resolution that seems impossible. Because you have to switch between fortunately and unfortunately. If you get unfortunately, it's pretty easy. Like, things can only get worse. Like, it's not that big a deal. But trying to find resolution is the most difficult thing because there are circumstances in the story that go, these do not make sense. And you get this question, how do I bring resolution to these set of circumstances? How do I find a way to make sense out of everything that's gone on, including the dinosaur or the pit that we fell with, the lava and the volcano, how do I turn that into a fortunately because it seems like it can't be resolved? And the same thing is true with our own lives. How do I bring resolution to the set of whatever this set of circumstances is in your own life, how do you bring resolution to them or to it? We are faced with confusing and difficult and stru- I mean, the most painful struggles in our life, and we're constantly trying to, every person on the planet, whether or not you follow Jesus, you're convinced about the Bible, whether someone brought you here, you thought this was the hospital, whatever, whatever it is, the re- whatever, no matter who you are in the world, you are constantly trying to figure out a way to bring resolution to the set of circumstances in your life. We were talking, my son was in a soccer game this, yesterday, he was in a couple soccer games, it was like the end of the season, sort of tournament days and everything, it was exhausting. It was four soccer games and four volleyball games yesterday for my family. And I coached four volleyball games and two soccer games. Um, but my son said there's this one kid who got, one, one, of the, one of the kids he was playing against got thrown out of the game because, you know, he like threw an elbow at someone. And then, you know, he was like, he, he said the B word to my son, you know, and I was like, oh, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. But he's, he's like, he said, that to, you know, said that to my son. And I'm like, really? And he might, you know, my son whispered it to me like, I'm not even allowed to say this out loud. And I'm like, I'm like, what do you think happened there? He goes, I don't know what that, what's wrong with that guy. And I go, you're right. That's a guy, a little kid, trying to bring resolution to the set of circumstances in his life the best way he knows how. Whatever it is in his life that created that, he feels like he needs to throw elbows and swear at you guys. And that is, and my, and my son's looking at me like, you, we should hate that guy, right? And I'm like, no, no. He's doing the best he can with the tools he's been given. How do we bring resolution to the set of circumstances in our life? And everybody in all the world is always trying to make things work. Now, there's basically two ways to kind of make this go. We either either change ourselves to match the world around us so that we can finally figure out a way to bring resolution, or we change the world around us in good or not so good ways to bring about resolution for us. But the point is, we are always seeking for a way to find resolution in our lives for the circumstances that we're in. It's the reason we're built in with this. It's an intrinsic sort of trait within us. You, there's a reason why when you are late at night and you turn on the television and the world's worst movie comes on, whatever it is, you're on the Hallmark Channel, right? Something, whatever it is. You're like, how did I get on this? And no matter how embarrassingly bad this movie is, you never admit to watching it. You just can't 
you have to, you have to finish. You can't not stop watching. You just have to finish it. You're like, why am I watching this stupid movie? It's now 2.30 in the morning, and I don't care about this movie, but I have to see how it winds up. And now you kind of go, I, I can't really record this because then people will know that I recorded the dumbest movie in the world, so I've got to watch the dumbest movie in the world until the very end. with commercials, it's a now an additional half an hour longer, and I have to finish it. There's a part of us that has to find resolution. It is what we are made to do. There's a reason why people binge watch net- Netflix. I mean, like watch whole series of television shows at the same time because you can't allow for something to just be hanging on there forever. It's like, I don't know what happened to that guy. Did he really get shot? I don't know. I have to watch another four episodes to figure it out. It doesn't matter what time of night it is. That's just how we do stuff because we need and we seek and we long for and we're created for this need for resolution. The biblical word for how, the, you know, the biblical word for how things that don't fit together are restored or made right or find resolution is this word right here. Atonement. Atonement. Now, it kind of has a twin brother, which is the word reconciliation or reconciling, but the way in which things are reconciled or resolved is in this word atonement. Now, when the Jubilee is announced, the way this is, when the Jubilee is announced, this 50-year reset period I just talked to you about a second ago, when this thing is announced, this reset of all this freedom and everything else, it's announced on a particular day in the, in the Hebrew calendar. Check it out, Leviticus 25, verse 9. Then have the trumpet sounded, this is the announcement of it, everywhere on the 10th day of the 7th month, on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. So there is this, you guys maybe have heard the, the Jewish calendar of the Yom Kippur, that's the day of atonement right there, if you've ever heard that before, it's in the fall. Okay? This is the day on which the, set, the reset, this great reset is announced, that the whole land finds its reset on this day. It's the way in which all things, that have been broken, need fixing. They come, they converge on this picture right here, this day of atonement. Now, let me give you this, the Bible version of fortunately, unfortunately, just to understand why we have this day of atonement. Okay, so the story starts out in the Bible. God created the heavens and the earth. God created the entire cosmos. Everything in the whole universe was created by God. Fortunately, it was good unfortunately human beings looked at all of creation over all of what was given to them and there was all of this abundance and they said it's not enough and so they began to bend the ark of creation around themselves saying we get to determine what it should look like and what it gets to be about and we're going to go ahead and live apart from god because he's he doesn't know what he's doing unfortunately right fortunately god makes a way to restore what has been broken by human beings, and the way that the, the Bible word for the way things have been broken is this one word. It's a really short word that we don't like to use because it's weird and we don't know how we're supposed to say it and it feels awkward when we use it, but it's the word sin. That the world was undone, the beauty of creation was undone by the selfishness of human beings who say, I don't like the way you did it. I'm bending it around myself, and God says to his people, Fortunately, I'm going to make a way for all of what ought to be between you and creation and me and you guys. We should all be able to be together. I'm going to make a way for that to happen. And he makes this, this picture of atonement. Now, before I get into this, I have to tell you, you have to always remember this. The Bible is for us, but it is not to us. The Bible is for us, but it is not to us. The original audience of people who heard the Bible weren't living in the 21st century they weren't worried about whether or not they could buy an app for $2.99 or whether or not they should pay for their Starbucks. These are people who speak a different language, 
who have a different, who have different technology, different culture, different land, different geography, a completely different understanding of the whole, their whole worldview is different and it's written to them, but it is for us as well. So when I go in to explain some stuff, you're going to go, this is why I don't read the Bible. Some of you guys are going to, I don't, because I, I don't get it because it is not to you. It's for you. So one of the things you have to know as we talk about it is this. In the ancient world, particularly the ancient Near East, the primary means of dealing with both the brokenness of an individual, that's sin, and the out-of-sync nature of the world was by blood sacrifice. Okay? Now, I know you're like, I don't do that in my house. We don't, we're not allowed to do that in my house. We have to take our shoes off before we come in the house. We can't have blood sacrifices in our house, whatever. Okay? I get that. That's where you're going. So just bear with me, though. Remember, for you, but not to you. Okay? So when we talk about this, you're going to experience some stuff and you're going to go, I don't know what this all means. And I'm going to ask you to hang with me. And I promise it will make sense at the end, at least to some degree. Okay. With me? Okay, some of you are like, I'm not sure. You're going to talk about blood sacrifices. Okay. Here we go. Leviticus 17, one through two. Then the Lord said to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites and to say to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Here we go. Any Israelite who sacrifices an ox, a lamb, or a goat in the camp or outside of it, instead of bringing it to the entrance to the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. I know this is getting exciting. Bear with me. Okay. Uh, that person shall be considered guilty of bloodshed. They've uh, bloodshed. They have shed blood and must be cut off from their people. Now, let me explain to you what's going on here. Oops. There. Okay. Now, let me explain to you what's going on. God's people are moving through the desert. They've been freed from Egypt. They're, this is part of the Bible where they have not yet taken the, the, the promised land. They don't have that yet. They're just wandering around. Now, God's instructing these people at this mobile worship center called the tabernacle, or it's just a tent, but it's like, this is their worship center. Now, what he says is, people are out making sacrifices. Tell them they have to make them right here. Evidently, what's happening is that people are making sacrifices, trying to make the world right, on their own, they're trying to make things work with themselves and with the world by making animal sacrifices, because this is what you did back then, on their own in a way that wasn't what God wanted. So he's telling people there's a way in which people are making attempts at atonement that I want them to stop doing. And so he says, stop these people. Then is this. This is so the Israelites will bring to the Lord the sacrifices they are now making in the open fields. They must bring them to the priest, that is, to the Lord. In other words, the priest is the representative of God. At the entrance to the tent of meeting and sacrifice them as fellowship offerings, meaning there with everybody else. The priest is to splash the blood against the altar of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting and burn the fat as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. <laughs> I know a lot of you are thinking, this would have been a great verse for Mother's Day. That would have been so great. <laughs> right? Okay, now here's what you have to understand. There is a picture here in which God says to his people, Stop going out there and making sacrifices on your own. And that there is a priest who will take care of it. You guys have to bring your, you have to bring your offering to us. Let the priest take care of it and handle these sacrifices. Because what it means is that people are going out and trying to make their world make sense, to bring it to resolution, to reset everything on their own. And God says there's only one way. There's only one place. There's only one God. In other words, what you capture from this passage of all this bizarre stuff about animal sacrifices, oxes and lambs and goats or whatever else, you're going, where is this going? This. People cannot self-atone. No matter what time of the world we're talking about, no matter where we are in our own life right now, we cannot reset ourselves. 
We, we think that we can. We have an understanding that we should be able to. We're told that we should be able to make ourselves new, but we cannot self-atone. That's what this passage is about. People cannot make everything right on their own. It requires a priest to help them to do this thing, a representative of God to make it so. And then God continues with his instructions to his people. He says this, they must no longer offer any, any of their sacrifices to the goat idols, sometimes translated as the goat gods, to whom they prostitute themselves. This is to be a lasting ordinance for them and for the generations to come. Now, what, what is happening is that people are figuring out in an agrarian society, they're trying to go, how do I make the world work for me? If when we're wandering around to these different lands, the people that when we encounter, these different people, if they're making sacrifices to their quote-unquote goat gods, they're goat idols, and they're getting rain, and they're getting crops, and they're, they're having offspring themselves or other people, then we should probably do that too. God's saying, no, 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 no. There's one way to do this, to one God, and it's in one place. The way the language, you get this language about, it's weird, you get this language of like prostitution, that they prostitute themselves. One translation says it even more like bluntly. It says, uh, who, to whom they, are, they keep, the people are whoring themselves to the goat gods. Whoa. Now, the reason why that language is used, and often when you look at the Bible, you see language where God is essentially described as a groom, and that the church or his people are described as his bride. And so you get all this language in which infidelity and unfaithfulness aren't just simply about religious sort of expectation, it's about relationships. God speaks to his people as though he has been cheated on when his people disobey. Let me give you this from a commentary. It says this way. This is a lot of words, but just stay with me. Unfaithfulness took various forms, but most commonly in outright idolatry. Worshiping other gods and looking for them for fertility of wombs, fields, and flocks, for healing wounds and diseases, for deliverance or security from enemies, thus treating the false gods as their lovers. This is the way God understood his people. Like when they were, when they were not obeying him, when they went out to do what he was saying is, you guys are cheating on me. I love you and you have abandoned me. And so you have this picture of relational infidelity in which the people are longing to find a way to make right their world without God. God's saying, look, look, you are saying to me, people, you want the world to be right you don't want me to be a part of it, and you believe in some capacity that I'm incapable of giving you the rightness or making things resolve in the way that you want. So he says this very scary thing. You are cut off. Now, what we think to ourselves is, I am so glad I stopped worshiping the goat gods when I was in college, because otherwise I'd be in big trouble, you know? Like, <laughs> man, goat gods were just... It's so easy for us when the Bible is for us but not to us to go, those people were crazy. I'm glad I don't do that. But let me just kind of narrow this down a little bit more to us. You see, the people who worship the goat gods, they're not all that crazy because they're not all that different than us. They're simply looking for a way to bring about a resolution to those really difficult circumstances, those inexplicable circumstances in their lives. One professor uh, uh, Theology professor says it this way. I love the way he says it. The Israelites used every culturally acceptable practice at their disposal to experience made rightness and reconciliation. Whatever they could do to make stuff right, they're going to do it. 
It's what we all do. By the way, I love that this is a, a, a theology professor's last name. Um, I mean, my gosh, is there just so much there? I don't have time to go into that, but that is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, anyway, okay. What Professor Um is saying <laughs> is that people will do whatever it takes to make their life come together. Even if it's not advisable, even if it's wrong, even if it's dangerous, even if it harms them. That's what we all do. We all do this. Let me just, just kind of give you a sense of what some of those goat gods actually look like, maybe up close. Some of us experience the brokenness of loneliness. And we go seeking toxic relationships so we, don't, so we can resolve the loneliness in our lives no matter how that other person treats us, no matter how we intend on treating them. When we are wronged and there's a brokenness in us, what we start saying is, you know what would make everything great? Whatever I can do to get revenge, that will make everything settled. And even if I can't get revenge, I can at least talk badly about, I can figure out a way to harbor for them some kind of evil that they may never know, and I'll just feel it, and it'll feel like everything's kind of coming together. Some of us longing for some kind of sexual fulfillment in a, in a marriage, in our lives, or whatever it is, will seek alternatives to what God has given to us that we might feel it and go, this is just, this is great. I, this is, I needed this, and I deserve this. It doesn't matter it wasn't, it just wasn't supposed to go this way, whether it's pornography or some other relationship, whatever else it is. Look, I, I just, I have this longing and it's being unmet and I need to go and seek it. Some of us endure pain and we numb it with addiction. We just can't, our lives would be whole if we didn't have that pain. And so whether it's the subtlety of a little bit of drinking or maybe it's a lot or maybe it's prescription medication or maybe it's out and out heroin, whatever the most extreme, whatever it is that says, my life is out of sync because of pain, so I'm going to go figure out how to resolve it on my own. Some of us have been embarrassed by other people. So the way we undo that is we find another target to embarrass, to take down publicly. Find a way to say, I don't want to feel like this. I need, the, I need the attention off of me, and so I'm going to put it on someone else. Some of us, if you're like me, when I feel out of control. The way in which I bring back control usually comes out in anger. Usually it's directed at the ones I love the most. So when we look at these people whose lives are wildly out of sync in the Bible and they go out sacrificing to the goat gods, they aren't as crazy as we think. They're just like us, trying to make sense of the circumstances of their life and they're not handling it in the best way possible, but they're handling it. And what we discover in the Bible is that these people, despite their best effort, cannot recover everything on their own. I think I told you this before. My oldest son, is a, he's into Legos. We have more Legos than we know what to do with, which are basically a minefield if you're a parent. You're in the middle of the night walking places, and there's just Lego. You, just, you're, you step on them, and you're, you're in the hospital for three weeks. But he makes all these things, and he makes them without the instructions, and so he makes all these kind of really brittle but beautiful spaceships and, you know, whatever else he makes, and he's like, Dad, check these things out, and of course his brother and sister want to play with them, and they're younger than he is. And they pick these things up, and they're like, look what I got, and it looks real tough, but they drop it, and it shatters. And my son, 
I have to restrain his violence at that moment from his, from his brother or sister. And of course, you know, doing what all little brothers and sisters do, they try to reassemble everything as best as they can. And they're putting it together. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Stop hitting me in the face. So I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And eventually my oldest son has to say to his brother and sister, you guys stop. You can't do it on your own. You don't know how to do what I did. And there are remnants of what was supposed to be there, but most of it is shattered. And I appreciate that you guys, he's not saying in this tone. <laughs> I appreciate that you're trying to help me. I'm translating the subtext. Basically, it's like, shut up and get out of here, you know. <laughs> but you understand the subtext here. <laughs> I appreciate that you're trying to reassemble this, but you can't do it. You do not have the skill to make this happen, and though you might try, you will always fall short of trying to reassemble it on your own. You need me to do it. God is saying the same thing to his people. I understand that your world is out of whack. I understand. I know that. I have given you a way to put it back together, and you keep saying, let me try. And when we try to do it on our own, God says this scary most unbelievable thing to the people, to the Israelite people. He says, when you try and do it on your own, you're cut off. We go, whoa. Trying to put back, put my life together. How bad is that? See, God's intention is to bring stuff back together, but it's not for us to put it back together. He takes it really seriously. Now remember, blood sacrifice is the primary means of dealing with individual brokenness and the out-of-sync nature of the world. This is part of what we know from the ancient world. Now, how does God intend to put us back together? For the Israelites, he says this. You're going to make a sacrifice, and this is what it's going to look like. For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Now, when we look at this, it's not just the, so you can't be indiscriminately sacrificing stuff because somehow or another what God's saying is the, the life of the creature is in the blood, and when that blood is spilled, it is a life-for-life substitution in which people are spared because life is poured out for another person's life. Now, what we expect in looking at this is that God would look at his people who try to rebuild their lives on their own, which is us, and he would say, I've seen what you tried to do. You are cut off. And there is this really strange, bizarre, (coughs) excuse me, moment in the story god's work remember the story is a series of unfortunately fortunately this kind of trading back and forth and there's all this unfortunate well we're cut off right isn't that what the story is and so many of you have gone to church or have heard about heard about god and said all god wants to do is cut me off and remind me how cut off i am but fortunately god like the story of this like this game we play in our car has this bizarre twist in the most surprising way, the way in which God deals with the cutoff nature of human beings isn't that he just says, well, figure it out. The most bizarre, the but fortunately moment in this story is so surprising and so wild and so unexpected that people didn't see it when it happened. Here's what God does. Speaking of Jesus, he enters into the story of humanity himself and it says, he, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Unfortunately, we're cut off because we keep trying to piece our own lives back together to make sense of it ourselves. But 
fortunately, Jesus is the atoning, the one who sets everything right, sacrifice, whose life is in his blood, poured out for us, not only for our sins, but for the whole world. See, we don't have to be told this, but when people try to make attempts at resetting their world on their own, on their own terms, even with their best attempts, they fail. Some of you guys know Mike, who made the announcements earlier before. He worked for the past two years on a project, a reconciliation project, an atonement project, with some folks in Congo. And I want to see you. Tonight he actually has a premiere of his, of his movie that he worked on with, a documentary. It's, um, it's, showing, it's showing at the spectrum, right, Mike? Seven? Seven o'clock. Do they, can they still go? What do they need to do? See you on the patio. Okay, I want to give you a sense. This is a great picture of what happens when people both attempt to make atonement on their own for their life and their circumstances, and then also what happens when they have the atoning sacrifice enter into the picture. Check this out. This is a little preview, a little trailer. When does the world pay attention to human suffering? When the body count is high? Because Congo's death toll is among the worst in history. Is it when the killing is done with brutality? I don't think so. Because machetes, hatchets, and terrible disease have killed us Congolese. Is it when the innocent suffer? Not even that. Because the women in Congo have suffered more than anyone. So I wonder, when will the world care about my country? When you talk about trying to create a movement within a country, in the midst of so much uncertainty, you can wait for the perfect time, and that time may never come. The president of this nation may be in this room right now. We just don't know who she is. You have to start impacting key influential young leaders now, because they're growing out of their capacity to hope. Chaotic scenes in the Democratic Republic of Police Congo. opened fire on protesters in Goma. 42 people had been killed and dozens were wounded. third day running, violence has erupted in the Democratic Republic of Congo. More than 40 people have died in the protests, according to a rights group. There was a huge amount of hatred and anger, and it could be dangerous. This is a conflict zone, and no one's naive to that. And so we can let this generation also go and fail and wait for another generation, wait for that perfect time, or we start now. The work of reconciliation, the work of making atonement, the work of making the world right is God's work, it's what he does. And he doesn't simply say to people, you are cut off. He enters, the, his, enters into the story that he's writing. And what he says is, I will become for you what you cannot do on your own. Said differently, it's this right here. It's just later on in the same book of the Bible. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says this. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son entering into the story as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
It means that this is the end of all those sacrifices. Have you ever wondered if you read your Bible before as a kid, you're like, why don't we keep making animal sacrifices? You know, and you're like, your, your kids ask you and you're like, I don't know. That's the reason. Jesus is the perfect and final sacrifice for all humanity for all time. There is no longer a need for sacrifices. Jesus enters the story in the way he always does with love. This is essentially the story of Finding Nemo. I know. Stephen, Dr. Stephen Um has produced a movie called No. I'm just kidding. If you remember in this movie, and I'm going to ruin it for you because it came out in like 10 years ago, so if you didn't see the end of this movie, spoiler alert, okay? But if you remember at the beginning of this movie, there's Nemo who goes out to swim out to the boat, which he refers to as a, a butt. He swims out to this boat and he touches the He touched the butt, exactly. He swims out all the way to the boat, touches the bottom of it. And he swims back in defiance of his father and says, don't, it's too dangerous. You shouldn't go out there. You could get hurt. And he's captured. And he's taken to whatever it is, 22 Wallaby Way, Australia, or whatever it is where he ends up. And he gets taken to be part of an aquarium. He's captured and he cannot, by himself, rescue himself. And his father, against all odds, against his own best interest, leaves the safety of his own home and travels across all the oceans to get his son back. And what, what Nemo knows, more than anything else, he knows something that we ought to know, which God says to us, what his father would say to him, what our father says to us now. You were worth it. You were worth it. You were worth the journey. You were worth the sacrifice. Let me say it differently. You are worth it. Everything that it took to get you to be back with me, to be made right, the giving of a son, the spilling of the blood, all of that stuff, you were worth it. And you have been told, some of you in this room, you are not worth it. You have been told throughout your life, you will never be worth it. Some of us who have been at church for a really long time have understood we're not worth it. God just barely tolerates us. No, no, no. God gave up everything to come to get you because you could not make it on your own and you were worth the effort. If you have an impression about God who does not or could not love you, you are wrong. God never intended you to be cut off from him. He doesn't enjoy that there would be people who have the experience. You were worth it. He came for you. You do what you could not do on your own. Now, we know, we know that God came to rescue people who consistently try to make atonement on their own. And there is a couple things we forget over and over and over again is that one we know this part. We need atonement. We need our world to be made right for us. Through what we need, we need something to be made right in us or around us. Secondly, remember that we cannot self-atone. Now, in my experience, there is one way in which people tend to always attempt self-atoning. It's the most bizarre way. It's a way you'd never expect. It's also the reason many people leave the church. People have a belief that if I can endure long enough, if I can do this, the one way in which people self-atone is the word guilt. People are like, I hate guilt. You do hate guilt. We all hate guilt. 
And there's a belief in us that says, if I endure long enough, the experience of guilt, I'll have made up for what I did. And God will go, all right, you suffered long enough. It's fine. You're good. No more guilt. If we feel bad long enough, we feel awful long enough, but it turns out God, guilt is not God's method of rescuing people. If it were, he would not have needed Jesus. The whole ministry and life of Jesus entering into the story wouldn't matter. He just would have said, everybody feel terrible long enough, and then that will all be good. That is a means of self-atonement. And some of you have been holding on to guilt because you feel like that's what God wants for you for so long. God is about freeing people from, there's no, re, there's no reset, there's no rest, there's no atonement in guilt. God says, you bring to me all of what it is that has separated you from me and let me rebuild you and stop believing that if you felt bad long enough, I'd rescue you. No, 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 no. I was already on my way. I was already doing the work of rescuing long before that happened. It's not how it works that we just feel bad long enough without a rescue. God came to us, the atoning sacrifice for our sin, that we might be set free from everything, including So we don't produce guilt to try to make ourselves better. We don't produce more atonement than what already is. Jesus has already done that. It's final. It's done. The analogy I often use is this. Maybe you've heard this before. It's like, like I told you a little bit, I'm going to be flying to Africa, which is a lot of flying. I want you to imagine that if I'm in the middle, this is the work, the, the pilot already gets to fly the plane, but if I just decided in the middle of the plane flight, I should stand up and stand in the aisle, which of course everybody now worries. You get tackled if you do that. But if I stood in the aisle and said, I got this, you guys, I just started flapping my hands. Maybe you've heard this analogy before. Like, this is my job. We have 10 hours to London and six hours from there to Nairobi, and I got it. Can give, someone give me some Gatorade with a straw, preferably? You know what I mean? Like... This is my work. I have to do this to keep the plane flying. And everyone's looking at me going, you don't have to do that. And if you do it any longer, someone's going to tackle you. So just stop it. <laughs> the plane is being flown by experts who can handle it. You don't need to help. You just simply sit in your seat. You put your earbuds on and you watch whatever, whatever movies they got. You let the flight take you. When it comes to ourselves, we don't do the work of atonement. It's God's work to us, through his son Jesus. And so, because we're forgetful people, every so often the church would get together and they would remember this sacrifice in something called communion or the Lord's Supper. And so this is what it looked like. The last night Jesus was with his disciples before he goes to the cross. They have a moment together. He says this. Matthew 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. So what's about to happen to him, he's about to be hung on the cross. He's giving himself for his people. Verse 27. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins is the words of atonement. And this is why people, believers, take and receive communion. It is an opportunity to remember that God gave himself to us and for us, that we do not have to try to make it on our own. That God himself gave us a solution for our own guilt, our own separation, our own in, in, inadequacy, our own out-of-sync nature of the world. And so we receive communion today. And that's what we're going to do. You close your eyes for a moment, and then I'll give you some instructions on communion. As you just, for a moment, as you sit there, there are things that are out of sync in your life, that are out of sync in your world. As you think about them, I want you to consider them for just a moment. 
God does not intend for you to live with an out-of-sync life, an out-of-sync world, or that things in your life that are broken or that are characterized by sin or evil would ultimately characterize you. He comes to you and says, don't you want to receive the atonement that I give you? And so, what is it then for which you are trying to self-atone by which you need to say to Jesus, take this, take me, I have tried long enough on my own and I need you. What is it? Father, as we take communion, it's an act of believers reflecting upon and understanding and remembering your power and your work in us. We remember your atoning sacrifice for us that would bring about wholeness. But the story ends not with an unfortunately, but with a fortunately. God, we know that you are not yet completed in the work of making everything the way that it should be, but that process has been initiated. And Father, we remember the greatest of all things, the greatest of things that have, been, that have kept us out of sync in our world is sin, and you have dealt with that on the cross. And so we remember that today. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. Here's how this will work. You come forward, and you'll just take a piece of the bread, and you dip it into the cup. And or actually, someone will hand you a piece of bread, and what, you, what they'll say to you is, this is the body of Christ given for you. And then you'll take that bread, and you'll dip it into the cup, and the person will say, this is the, the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. You can eat it right then. You can stop and pray. You can go back to your seat, you can, however you want to. But just the only thing you can't do is walk out. Just stay here. We're going to close the service together. All right? So we're going to stand when we stand together, and we're going to sing. And then when you want to come forward and receive communion, do so. Remember also there's people love to pray with you as well. Too. So come on forward and let's, let's receive communion together.
song to rise to you when temptation comes my way when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow he washed it white as snow he washed he washed 
it white as snow Praise the one who paid my debt, who made the atoning sacrifice that we could never make on our own, that we are not cut off because he entered the story fortunately. We no longer have to live with the belief that we're not worth it, but we don't cut it. God looks at us and says, you were worth it, and you are still worth it. If you're new with us, one of the ways we conclude our services, I'll just pronounce a blessing over you. Just hold your hands out. Would you receive this blessing? Jesus, you see a, a group of people who are human in every way, who are longing to make sense of the world, to piece it back together, the parts that have fallen apart, the, the parts that are not working, the parts within us that are not working. And Jesus, we need you that you might restore us, that you might reset us, because God, we cannot do it on our own. We're so grateful that you would give to us your own life that we might live. So while we don't understand everything about it, Jesus, we just simply know that the only way things are made right is through you. Father, would we be people who will move consistently toward that end, being restored by you, being people who are agents, ministers of reconciliation in the world, that we might bring about healing in our community and in the world because of your great love for us, the love that restores, the love that gave it all. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's so good to be together. Stop by the serve table. Talk about serve.